0: Hey, Khalil, it's Michael. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. How are you?
0: I'm doing awesome. So tell me, where are you right now?
1: Right now, I'm in my room. That's in Waterloo,
0: Ontario. In Waterloo, Ontario. What is it like there? Because it's, it's September, so it's going to get cold, no?
1: Yes, it is. It already has been getting cold. It's kind of odd, but I think it was around 14 degrees this morning. <laughs> so I was uh, walking around in a sweater...
0: So 14 is like one of my favorite temperatures, anything below 14. And I really just get annoyed because I don't like the cold. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts and a little bit in Connecticut. So you can imagine it's kind of it gets really cold during like the night times. And in the wintertime, it's just freezing cold. But during the daytime, sometimes even in September, it can be like 15, 16, 17 degrees. But you know, are you you're from Bangkok, right?
1: I am from the Philippines, actually. I moved to Bangkok in 2000. Who, I hope I get this right, 2015, I believe. So I was uh, 16 or 15 at the time when I moved to Bangkok. Oh, wow. So what predicated the move to Bangkok? So my dad, uh, pretty much all of his uh, career, has been offered multiple opportunities to move to different countries, but he always turned them down because they weren't always the best fit for the family. And then this opportunity to work at AXA Life in Bangkok was just so amazing for all of us that, you know, we we all packed our bags and took a flight to Bangkok, explored it, loved it. And we decided, okay, let's take our schooling, our work, everything here and see how that goes. And we loved it.
0: Okay, but what does that mean, best fit for the family? And particularly at your age, like, did you understand that? Do you have brothers and sisters as well that would have been part of that conversation?
1: I had a younger sister, and my dad made it very clear that we all had a say in this. And the difficulty with us is that we had such a good set of friends, lots of family that we could always fall back on. And we're we're Filipino, so we're very familial, uh, well, We love each other, basically, so much to the point that we don't want to leave. And my dad knew that it would be such a hard move for us, but it was such a great opportunity in terms of being able to uh, make more money. Uh, And also for me and my sister, my little sister, we would get to study in, in an IB program, which is not something we'd ever encountered before. We didn't even know that it existed, but when we heard about it and what what it can offer we were just like oh that's a no-brainer move we get to go to school for free pretty much that's that's an amazing opportunity right and to
0: one of the best schools in asia i mean let's
1: be fair i i didn't know that i did not know that coming in i just assumed that it was a it was a good school i did not know i just thought it was massive um but when i had my like my little orientation week there and I met all the people, it, it dawned on me that these were no regular high school students. These were the next change makers of the world. I, I did not know that coming in.
0: So let me ask you this. What kind of school were you going to in the Philippines? And I'm presuming, although I may be wrong, that that was in Manila.
1: You got it. Uh, it was in Manila. It was a small school called Victory Christian International School. So it's a private school. Uh, very good education for uh For what we do have in the Philippines, although it didn't offer the IB program. And uh, we didn't have, we had local teachers who were uh, born and raised, local, everything from the schooling to their lifestyle. So it wasn't much of an international experience, despite having international school in the name.
0: So when you came to Bangkok, right, you said you came as a family to kind of look around and see if you liked it or not. Did you look at other schools as well? And where did you, which school did you end up attending here?
1: We looked at three schools. So the first school that we looked at was Bangkok, Patana, And then we looked at uh, ISB, International School of Bangkok. And then the last school that we looked at was NIST. So that's the, well, it's just NIST now. But from what we knew before, it was uh, the new International School of Thailand. Branding changed. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's one of those things it's like Kleenex everybody was calling it NIST anyway so they might as well have just left it that way right so fair enough
1: basically and we ended up with, with NIST because it was just so close to the city center and the school was a better fit than uh, Patana, because uh, BPS uh, their abbreviation for it is un- pretty much all British and my family we didn't really uh, vibe with the with the culture of the school and nist had more of a it was definitely more international from from what we felt coming in uh, a lot more uh international students uh from all walks of life which was great for us because we felt like we really belonged
0: right it's really interesting right if you look at the international school scene in any sort of big city in asia right all of these schools have a purpose right so bps is there really to prepare british expatriates or expats to slot their children back into the British school system when they either A, go to another sort of British school in another country, or B, just return to the UK. And they do a super good job of that, right? Bangkok Prep does some really great things. ISB, very American, which means that if you work at a big American company and your children come from Texas or California or Massachusetts, when they go home, they just kind of get slotted back into the regular system there too. And this is different because it's an international baccalaureate program. And what that means is that kind of anybody can go there if they really want to be challenged, right? Yep. And they can slot themselves back into any system. You're laughing, but it's really true. I mean, no matter how smart you are, the IB program is a challenging program, right? And
1: I like like that you bring that up because I did not know how how challenging it was. I assumed that I would tackle it with, with ease because coming in, I... I was one of those students in in my old high school where everybody just just looked at me and said, "Oh, he's he's really smart and he can he can pretty much pass any class right. without without studying at all and he'll just he'll just do well because he's the smart kid." Right. And I came in I came in with all that that huff and puff and that pride. And when I had my first few weeks of class and my first English paper comes back to me after writing, I'm, just, I'm so proud of it. Right. I write it and I'm just like, oh, this is going to be amazing. I nailed this. comes back to me and I, I failed that paper. Right. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a realization that, no, this is not going to be an easy walk in the park.
0: No. What else did you notice was different, right? So how old were you? You said 15 or 16 years old. What else? I was around,
1: yeah, I was around 15 or 16.
0: So, you know, it's kind of my view that... Once you sort of become 15, 16 years old, you're really coming into your own, right? So there are a lot of things about you that kind of now get self-defined as opposed to being defined by, you know, who your mom and dad are, and where you live and what your grandparents used to do. Did you sense a difference of like, uh-oh, I think this is going to be completely different? And I'm talking about inside of school and outside of school. How did you feel?
1: I was scared because of that feeling. It was It was a really scary time for me because... My parents had, had this idea that I would be this great mathematician, engineer, and uh, I'd, I'd do all these great things. I initially took higher-level math from the, from the get-go, right. and I, I wasn't fit for it. I wasn't cut out for it. it just, I didn't have the, the foundation or the skill or, to be honest, the motivation to, to do that, and that was scary for me because my parents had one expectation for me, and for myself, I was starting to explore this world of professional videography and professional audio and the arts. And I was starting to really get into that uh, to, the, to the level where I was proud of it and to the level that I could actually sell my skills to somebody else. And I didn't know what to do. Those are, those are two ends of the spectrum where you have the arts and then you have the maths and sciences that was a scary time for me because as I was coming into my own, I was also going against, uh, the flow of what everybody was expecting from me. So where did
0: your parents' expectations emanate? In other words, why did they have these expectations for you? And did they tell that to you explicitly or was it just implied in their actions?
1: It was definitely implied because, uh, it wasn't them that pushed it on me. They've always been supportive of me in any any shape or form. Uh, so whatever I was doing well, be it music, uh, I really got into that at an early at an early age. Um, they supported me. And there was this period in elementary school where I really excelled in the maths. and i was I was doing advanced classes. I was taking classes outside of school to supplement my my learning so that I could be ahead of the rest of my peers right the problem was going into the ib where the math curriculum was completely different i didn't have the foundation for that and i was kind of like rolling down from my math high where i was like this <laughs> This super amazing mathematician who's going to conquer the world with you know, Pythagoras and all of these algorithms. I had that. I had that high for a while, and then things started to get harder, and I started to lose my motivation to put effort into it. And then that was like right before my move. Right before I moved, I started losing the hype, and then I started falling in love with film and videos and watching movies and the arts, and all of a sudden the difficulty for math just skyrockets. When I, when I was put in that situation where I was like met with a hard wall that I could not scale, it just, it was like a no brainer uh, solution for me to go to the next best thing that I could actually pour my everything into. And that's, that's where I pretty much my parents uh, realized, okay, maybe math isn't for him. And I guess we just, we should just stop pushing it.
0: Right. But let's step back and analyze this for a second, right? So a few things are coming together all at the same time, and I I think it's a familiar theme. One is you're kind of coming into your own as a young adult, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is you're moving. So you're moving from a place where you're completely familiar, where everything to you is easy, remember, in relative terms, right? Which means (laughs) if your mom and dad say, go take care of X. You just know how to do it instinctively because you've always, I'm presuming, just based on what you said, you've always lived kind of in the same, at least, location and that if you want to get something done, you have a group of people or a group of resources that can just help you do it. And then the third thing is you've always been pushed either implicitly or explicitly to excel in a certain area and now you don't know if that's going to be true anymore and the combination of the confluence of those things can be kind of scary. Learning that as a 15 or 16-year-old can be really confusing and I like how you said like I just went to the next best thing (laughs) right and what does that really feel like you know because now you're saying I'm not a child prodigy I'm not gonna it's not gonna be like in the books I'm not gonna write first there was Stephen Hawking you know now there's Pythagoras I'm going a little bit in reverse right and then there was Khalil that's
1: all changes now right how does that feel it was demoralizing Uh, to just to just be frank about it I I would I would come home uh, every night after studying so hard for my math class I stuck I stuck with it for a few months because I, I wanted to try you know I wanted to push myself and see oh maybe I'm just breaking in but it was so demoralizing to the point that I I thought I was I was dumb and which you' I I I hope I'm not <laughs> I hope. and it's it's a hard thing to 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 get to. When you're that kid at the top, right? And then all of a sudden you're that kid at the bottom, trying to catch up with the class that's actually getting it. That's that was the I think that was the most difficult part to to come to terms with is that I wasn't I was struggling alone, and everybody else around me was just getting it, uh, which was sad. <laughs>
0: But did you, so did you talk to your mom and dad about that? In other words, do you have a relationship with your parents that allows you to come home and say, you know, basically, look, I I thought I was going to do really well here and, and I'm struggling and I don't understand why, because I never felt stupid before. And now I'm feeling like dumber than everybody else that's around me. And I know that can't be true.
1: Yeah. I, I remember that night pretty well. Um, I walked home from from the train, opened the door, it was, I think, around 7 p.m., and I I had a paper in my hands that, that basically indicated whether or not I was allowed to switch uh, from one subject to another subject. It was a downgrade.
0: Did you decide on your own, though?
1: I did. I, I got the paper. I wrote down the, the downgrade and the, what other subject I had to upgrade, basically, in difficulty. Right. I said HL math to standard level, level math, which was basically the most common thing. Everybody was taking it. Got it. And I had to gather up the confidence and hand that to my parents and explain why. What were you afraid of with your parents? In other
0: words, you said you had to gather up the confidence. What was the, you know, everything has a consequence, right? What were going to be the consequences of doing that? Where was the fear?
1: I told them in the very beginning that I was going to kill it and that (laughs) trust, trust me, I can, I can do this. Uh, It's going to be a piece of cake for me. And it, it wasn't, I'm going back on my word. I'm, I don't think I really disappointed them. It was more my, my perspective of what they saw of me was, was going down. And it was just my perception. Like it was all in my head. Basically, I thought that my parents were going to be so disappointed and so, so upset that, oh, you're not, you're not my little Asian prodigy child anymore. What happened? Why why are you being like, they they never said that. But in my head, I I thought they were going to say something like that.
0: (laughs) Right. But remember, and here's what's really interesting to me. You spoke really early on in this conversation about how there's this deep family love. And yes, that, there is. And that your parents believed, even for something like just a move to another country, which seems like a big deal, but in the end, maybe isn't. We can talk about that later, too. There was an involvement. So your parents involve the kids. So think about it. A lot of families are really prescriptive, right? Your dad will come home one day without talking to your mom, without talking to your sister, and say, okay, we're moving to Bangkok. But that's not what happens <laughs> in your family. No.
1: Definitely
0: not. (laughs) I can only imagine sort of sitting around the dinner table and having your dad say, look, I have an opportunity in Bangkok to work for this company that I believe is transformational for not just for me, but for everybody in the room. But like I said before, nobody succeeds alone. And I can't do this by myself. And I can't do it if it's problematic for the rest of my family. So let's do this together and let's go check it out. Right. So there's this whole inclusiveness, it seems to me, there. And yet you still had this fear of going home and letting them down.
1: So what did they say? They said it was all right. They asked me, do you like the subject that you're bumping up? And it was design, design standard level, which I was bumping up to higher level. And I told them, yeah, I I love the course. I I can basically build cool stuff in a cool lab with cool tools, uh, which NIST provided. And I was like, I love it. I want to spend more time on it. Uh, you know how I love to make and fix things. This is basically that, but on steroids. And they were, they were so supportive. And I, 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 it happens to me a lot where I come in expecting one thing from my parents that's negative. Uh, and I have all this, uh, prescribed notions that they're going to say something else. And then they completely obliterate my expectations. And they're like, no, if we're going to say something good. We're gonna we're gonna change what you're what you're thinking, and that's what that's where the love comes in. Basically, where I I, I love my parents to the point that I just don't want to let them down, and they love me so much that they just they just let me do what is best for me, and when I understand myself to that to that point, and they they know that uh, it's just gonna work out well for me. Right. So I'm
0: going to make a leap here and say, what does that teach you, again, as now a 20-year-old, about your relationships with others? So I I want to make another point too, right? So you said your parents support you. So you learn this every time you think you're going to disappoint them and you don't. And they say, Khalil, you know what? That's okay. You've thought it through and it's fine. We support you. But the other thing is, it appears to me that your mom and dad don't want to let you down either. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's reciprocity in this relationship that's really kind of cool. And just the fact that you're 20 and maybe your dad's probably in his 40s or early 50s, I can only begin to guess. But what does it teach you about the other relationships that you have and how they have to develop over time in the context of your expectations for their behavior and your behavior inside of that relationship?
1: I think... The relationship that I've had with my parents, it's definitely overflowed into my personal relationships and it's overflowed in a positive way where there's there's this leniency that I have with my peers, my teachers, my little sister, everybody around me. There's there's a leniency that I give them and it's a leniency that I give because I know and I trust in their abilities. I, I love them or I there's, there's something there that other people may not be seeing. And I love this about my culture. It's that uh, it may be an unspoken thing, but you just feel the trust, the empathy, and all this uh, caring nurture that, uh, that, that just basically overflows to everybody else.
0: But it also means you won't put up with somebody who doesn't live up to that standard. In other words, if you're going to be empathetic, you need to interact with other people that have empathy, because otherwise they'll never understand you. And you need to interact with people who have a tendency towards leniency. In other words, you don't want to let any of your friends down either. But if you do let them down and they say, oh, Jesus, come on, you did that again or whatever it is, you're going to back off, I think. I think people naturally do. Do you, do you understand the concept?
1: Because, I do. Because and... you're
0: not used to it. In other words, if your parents <sighs> brutalized you, which a lot of parents do, right? It's bad. But if you went home to your parents and said, look, I'm downgrading in math. And they were like, oh, God, you've really let us down. You walk up to your room even more demoralized. But it impacts your other relationships, too, because you have the potential then for behaving that way with your friends. But when your friends let you down in any way, now your reaction is just like, that's Okay. Let's go still see that movie anyway. Do you know what I mean? And it's a much better mm-hmm. or healthier relationship. And that's important.
1: Yes. I hold myself to a very high pedestal. Even if other people might not have the same expectations of me. I still like to deliver more than what people expect. So if somebody is lenient towards me. And I love the people who are. Because right. God bless them. right? Uh, even if they are. And I mess up. I, I'm the one that's going to be doing the punishing for myself. Correct. Yeah, they don't have to do it. It's, it's on me. <laughs> on, under
0: promise and over deliver.
1: Yep. Uh, and I live by that principle. And my, my parents have instilled in me as well, is that they when they say something, they, they deliver. And when they don't, they, they feel terrible about it. Exactly. And it's kind of been passed on generationally. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, but that's a that's a key point, right? And I think that that back and forth, that sort of, you know, the, the back and forth in that relationship and the recipro- reciprocity is actually really important. And as you grow and learn that that's important, it really has a huge impact on your other personal relationships, but also on your other professional relationships too, right? You don't want to work with people or collaborate with people that are always putting pressure on you for things where you've failed or not live up to your own expectations, and when you do, they're just dismissing it as that's what I expected anyway. So you've just fallen into expectations, right?
1: Yeah, I think it it doesn't help to add on to the pressure when the person themselves already has, is already putting pressure on themselves. And it's, it's, like, it's like adding two negative things onto one when the one negative thing is already enough.
0: Yeah, agreed completely. Anyway, so where do you go to school now?
1: I study at the University of Waterloo, and uh, it's a pretty big campus with a lot of international students. It was a great fit for me because uh, I think the school's population is like 50% international. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cold during the winter, uh, which I hate. But <laughs> the program that I'm in, I love. I absolutely love, and I will tolerate the winter for it. It's a global business and digital arts and the reason why I say I love it is because the people that I've met here. Uh, well, the first time I met them, I thought they were my clones. I genuinely thought that it was a joke because everybody was so much like me, and they were just like, "Oh, you you do videography? So do I. <laughs> right. Graphic design? Oh, so do I. Oh, you love business? So do I." And I was just like, "Oh, you're you're messing with me. Right? You're you're just trying to be my friend. You're just trying to be nice and saying that you like these things." <laughs> oh no. They they weren't they were not joking. They they are excellent at it. Everybody that I've met are just basically like, I'm going to form a team with you because, you're like me, you think like me.
0: <laughs> but you, so you've used this word a couple of times in a couple of different contexts now, right? And that's the word international. When you yes. were living in Manila, I presume that the kids at your school and the interactions that you had outside of school were relatively homogeneous,
1: right? Uh, they were. Um, it's, it's interesting because we call ourselves an international school and there's such a strict, uh, requirement in Bangkok, at least at NIST where a certain percentage is, is allowed only up to a certain percentage is allowed to be Thai, uh, the locals and everybody else has to be international. And if you pass a certain threshold, you're not international anymore. That wasn't the case for my school because I think 95% of the students were Filipino. Born and raised, not even from another country, Filipino, like local, right, 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 right. next right next block, basically. Uh, which was a different experience to have because everybody has, spoke the same language. Everybody had the same culture. It's all the same. So did your worldview change when you were at NIST? Oh, yes, it definitely did. How? It, it broadened. It, this is so cliche, but it broadened my perspective because uh, this is a funny story. I... I initially did not know where India was on the map until yeah. I went to NIST because somebody told me where it was. And that's because they came from there. Now, uh, I, I do admit there was some cultural ignorance on there on my part, but that was also because I'd, I'd never met a real Indian person before coming to NIST, um, which is amazing because to get to meet people who have stories to share from their hometown perspectives – to, to elaborate on and a lot of uh, stereotypes to just break down. Oh, that was, that was one of the best parts is the broken stereotypes. Uh, it's, it's such a, a refreshing thing to experience that I just wanted more of. I wanted to be surrounded by people of the world and not just Filipinos. I miss my family and I miss my friends, but being surrounded by people from all over the world is, it's breathtaking. <laughs> Right. But it also,
0: it changes so many things. It changes the way that you look at so many different things, right? Because if, you're, Definitely. if your worldview changes, and if you, like you said, if you see some of your preconceived notions get changed, and if your biases change, what does it mean for some of your other closely held beliefs? In other words, the greatest thing for me about being exposed to things that I don't know anything about is that it forces me to question everything that I know and recontextualize it, if that makes sense. And if you learn nothing else from being at NIST, and you learn way more than that, for sure. But if you learn nothing else, it's that just the ability to ask questions about your preconceived notions about everything, right? Mm -hmm. Because it makes you a better learner.
1: It makes you a better learner. It makes you a better human being because there's this bubble that you can you can create over Correct. time just Correct. by being in one place. And I was definitely in that bubble. but i I like to say this and that I was not the most sheltered person, and I my parents took me traveling a lot. I was never uh, I never shied away from making a new friend who spoke a different language right and I guess it brought out the best in me because I got to explore that even more. Um, when you say that uh, you learn other things that that make you question yourself, I think that's such a powerful thing. Because it is. if you if you're provided with the right frameworks and the right tools to question yourself and to to think about things critically, you can become such a smart individual all over the world, and people will respect you for being respectful. You know, they're, they're gonna respect for being respectful. I, that's a funny thing to say, but it's true. Um, there, people are gonna love you because you understand things and you're more open, open to other things.
0: Did it also change the way you thought about what it meant to be smart?
1: Yes, uh, because I, I always believed smart people were the ones who read the most books and memorized the most things. And then it, it once I met other people from other places they They have different different ways of seeing what a smart person is uh when I went to Canada for the first time, smart wasn't uh book smart smart was street smart the, in the streets of Toronto if you know what you're doing and if you if you know when to cross the street and when not to you're you're a smart guy you know you know how to survive uh I never really saw it that way. I always thought if if I could add uh two super long decimals together and get that down to 10 digits, then wow, you're a smart guy. You're basically a calculator, (laughs) right? So if
0: I can do differential mathematics, I must be brilliant. And, and and that's a great skill to have, to be fair, right? A lot of life is, is math oriented and that's fine, but it doesn't necessarily make you smart in a way that's useful.
1: I, I like being people smart. And I like people who are people smart, who understand things, who are very introspective and also retrospective. Uh, that's another kind of smart that I learned at NIST because I encountered so many people that I did not connect with, uh, that, that didn't have the same culture, beliefs, religion. Uh, everything was just so different and it grinded my gears sometimes because of our differences. And to learn to live with that and to accept that and to eventually embrace that difference, it sets you apart as a learner. It sets you apart as a human being, because you're, you're seeing the best and the worst of other cultures that are not your own. Uh, and I say best and worst as a, kind of like a, it's important, it's important, but it's, 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 um, depends on your perspective, depends on the context, I guess, <laughs> but when, when when you see other people for who they really are and you get to embrace them and accept them for their strengths and their weaknesses, you can build an amazing team of diverse people. And diversity, I learned truly what diversity meant at NIST. It's a very diverse school.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting, like experiencing something firsthand and just getting told something is really good. It's just two completely different worlds, right? Anyway, I, yes. th- I think the I think the exposure to, to difference, if nothing else, is one of the greatest things about going to an international school in a city with which you're not necessarily familiar and you're definitely not native. It just makes you rethink your entire worldview. And I think that, that nothing better could happen to you as a 15 or 16-year-old than to start questioning things um, inherently. And I think it's really important for growth. And you'll see as you move through your university experience as well, right? One of the interesting things you said about university experience already is that, and it's and it's new, is that everybody seemed just like I am. That's a good thing and a bad thing, right? Yes. Because <laughs> you want to be around people who say like, business, visual arts, that's such bullshit or it's so boring. You're like, no, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Because if everybody agrees with you, you have to be careful. Again, you're getting back into that bubble, right?
1: Yes. you got to be careful. And there's there's a beauty in university where you're you have access to both worlds. Right. Since since universities are so well not all of them are big, but since mine is so big, I get to talk to the people in my program, who completely understand me and and hold the same beliefs that I do. But I get to step out maybe one building and I meet a, a whole set of engineers who who think of the world differently, who tackle problems differently, who solve uh, problems so much more differently than I would. To see that perspective and just by walking a few steps, that is an amazing thing that university offered me. And I didn't have that anywhere else um, because university just brings people from all over the world together, puts them in compartments, but still lets them interact with each other so that they can grow together and share share experiences and share what they're learning And I love that. I didn't really get to do that back at home. Right. And in a
0: way, you're fortunate, right? Because the end of your high school experience, right, combined with the IB education means that you're prepared for that now. Your brain is in a place and your mindset is in a place where you're saying, I'm open to things I don't understand. I'm comfortable. This is what's really cool, right? It's good to learn this early is I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm not going to be the best at everything. But that doesn't matter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, once you get to university, you'll realize that they're even smarter people there than you've ever met before. And they're even more aggressive people there than you've ever met before. And that's okay. Because if you've never experienced that before, it can be even more demoralizing as a 20 year old than it was as a 15 year old. Oh, yes.
1: I have seen so many people, uh, Go to university and just completely break down because they didn't have that that structure to rely on that that mental uh, awareness, and that mental fortitude. And I, I love to shower the IB with compliments because it really deserves all of that. Um, and if they if they hear this podcast, I'd love for them to sponsor me because I'm a big advocate for them. Um, <laughs> but what I love about the IB is that unlike other high schools, which say, I'm training you for, for the university. Trust me, trust me, this, this, this program that you're taking is going to be amazing. And it's, you're going to, you're just going to walk into university and rock it. And they don't. And there's so many of those, but the IB doesn't even say that it doesn't even push it so hard that they will. They just know that they're going to teach you what you need to know, no matter where you go around the world. I walked into university with no fear in terms of academics and catching up with lessons and having the right study techniques all these things i i was not worried about that i was more worried about the the cultural shift and all these things but those weren't academic things the ib prepared me for all of that and so much more
0: yeah i mean if you just think about the way look the most important thing anybody can ever teach you is how to learn (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right, and it's it gets very subtle. It's deeply nuanced. But one of the things that an IB program does, and again, I'm third person, right, because I don't go through it myself, but I do watch all the time, right? My daughter goes through it too. So I understand the way this works. Like, life is just about getting through rubrics and understanding how to learn new things and then applying those things. And that's one of the things that IB is super great at doing. And again, the whole experience of being exposed to things you don't understand, cultures you don't understand, people you don't necessarily understand. And working through that means that now as a young adult, you see something you don't know and you're like, okay, well, there's a methodology that I've been taught to learn about new things and I can understand it in that context and then I can figure out what this means and how to use it for my benefit and for the world's benefit, right?
1: Yes. So thankful for that. Oh my goodness. It has saved my ass many times. (laughs)
0: I'm sure. And it will continue to do that. Look, I don't want to keep you much longer. I have a feeling that this will not be the last conversation that you and I will have. There's so much more to talk about. We should definitely break this into pieces. But I wanted to thank you so much for your time for doing this. Thank you so uh, much, too. No, it's my pleasure. And let's, um, let's have an agreement that we'll do this again. Definitely. Khalil, thank you. You're awesome.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.